Uh, as I uh, come to bring good, uh, God's word to us, let's, uh, let's pray. As we've just sung, we pray, Master, speak and make me ready. When thy voice is truly heard, with obedience glad and steady, still to follow every word. I am listening, Lord, we are listening for thee this morning. Master, speak, O oh, speak to us. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, you're going to get a bonus this morning, which I suspect is my fault. Um, I'm going to preach on uh, Mark chapter 7, so far so good. <laughs> Verse 1, so far so good. Well, I'm going to preach to 23, so um, uh, you get an extra bonus 10 verses this morning. Um, so I apologise to Chris in his absence <laughs> for uh, messing up his uh, lectionary. Um, fortunately, um, we've got uh, another guest speaker this evening who's not preaching on Mark, and then I think we leave Mark and go off back to Revelation. So by the time we come back to Mark, we'll have sorted it out. So, um, <coughs> my, my excuse for that, or my, um, my perhaps my reasoning when I uh, when I did this, um, is that um, what we have is uh, we have the Pharisees coming to Jesus with with a question. Probably not with the best of intentions, it has to be said. Um, followed by Jesus' response to the Pharisees, followed then by Jesus' explanation um, to his followers, his disciples, about what he just said. Now, I think that makes a nice package, so we're going to stick with it. Um, so uh, we're going to preach um, and, and, uh, and hear God's word, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. So when we get to the extra bit, um, we, will, we will read it. I've been thinking about a quiz this week, I wonder why. Um, I've been thinking about uh, the quiz that we've got at the Black Horse uh, next week, which gives give me a, a chance just to say, um, it's good to know numbers in advance, so please keep telling me if you're going to come, um, but we can cope with uh, with almost whatever we're thrown at um, on the day, because I will get some extra tables set out. So if you, if you decide on Saturday, I really would like to come, please come. Uh, but if you do know that you're coming... Uh, let me know. But thinking about uh, a quiz, thinking about planning a quiz, you know, uh, you've got the excitement of, uh, you know, what, what what tricky questions are you going to ask? And uh, and one of the things, one of the ideas that passed through my mind was asking people about the first lines of books. So here's a here's a little uh, quiz for you. I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> Decided it was too tricky in that in the end. But uh, we can we can do it now. So, um, who knows what book starts, chance to show off if you do, well, who knows what book starts, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Does anybody know which book? Yes. yes. Name is sorry, say that again. Oh, it's Pet, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> it's the... I said lame is rather, but it's No, you're in the right, you're in the right cities, area. Yes. Tale of Two Cities, well done, yes. Yeah, Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It's his book about the uh, French Revolution. Um, and uh, so we can certainly straight away think how it might be the worst of times, um, but you have to read the book to know why it was the best of times. Um, and here's another one. Uh, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Trickier, but it's probably my favourite first line of a book that I've read. The past is a foreign country; they do things differently there. Anybody got any ideas? Okay, I will let you into the secret. It's the Go Between by Alfie Hartley. 
and, it, and, and the reason is that it's a it's a, a man thinking back to when he was young and things that happened to him when he was young. And the first thing he thinks is how different life was when he was young. There's probably a few people here um, could uh, could think that I certainly do. Um, when you see things set in a in you know. For me, I suppose growing up was the late 60s, early 70s, I think, particularly or maybe mid 70s. And you see programs set in that era now and you think, my word, yes, it was a, it was very different then, wasn't it? Um, well, as we come to this passage, it's probably, um, both those things probably are true. In some ways, it was the best of times. Jesus walked the earth. How, how could that not have been in some ways the best of times? It was also the worst of times. It was a very um, difficult time in Israel. Uh, they were occupied by the Romans. There was pushback against the Romans. And, uh, and, and a, a lot of uh, the Jewish religion had, had really lost its way, as we, will, as we will see. So in some ways it was the best of times, also the worst of times. But it was also definitely a foreign country. Because although the Bible is, is completely and utterly timeless, and is true for all times and all places, we know that, Nevertheless, when we come to see it, when we come to read it, sometimes it's useful to understand uh, the context in which uh, the events are taking place. Um, and also, of course, you know, we are we are not Jews. We, so again, there are things that we don't necessarily understand. Now, Mark understood this, um, and he had, he's actually writing. We can see for Gentile readers. Let's read the first four verses again. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So you can see there that Mark understands that his readers won't necessarily understand, um, you know, what the Pharisees believe and what traditions they're holding to, and he does some explanation for us. Um, and we can see that the, the Pharisees have a lot of traditions. Notice traditions of men, not not scripture, that they hold to and they hold very dearly to. So, who were the Pharisees? Um, well, um, they were they were not um, officials; they had no official status. They were a school of thought, I suppose it, it might be um, said. Possibly a bit like a political party in some ways. They were quite political. Um, and they were dedicated to combating foreign influence. So they, they sort of begun when there was a, a lot of Greek influence came in um, to Israel about 200 years before Jesus. And they got stronger and stronger as foreign influence had got stronger as well. And they were pushing back against foreign influence. Um, and and one, of, one of their logics was, um, you know, one of the ways of pushing back against this foreign influence is to become sort of ultra, ultra Jewish. And, and they were they were taking traditions and adding to them, and they ended up with this uh, whole set of, of laws, which eventually were written down about 200 years after Jesus um, in something called the Mishnah. Um, and they, they really held to these, um, and they thought they were they were really crucially important. The scribes that did have official status. Um, they worked um, they weren't paid. I suppose a bit like a magistrate these days. Um, they weren't paid, but they they worked. They, they were trained 
um, they had official status, and they adjudicated on matters of Jewish law. Many, by this stage, and this is really important to, to know for context, by this stage, many, many of the scribes were Pharisees. So I think that's, that's relevant um, to, what, uh, to what happens here. Um, so why, why did they think it was so important to have all these additional laws? Well, um, the system to them made complete sense. Because the, the Jews, in their heads, quite rightly, they, they knew that the Jews were God's chosen people. Um, and part of being chosen was to be separate, was to be holy to God. Um, the Gentiles clearly were not holy. It was possible for Jews themselves to become ritually unclean. So it was really important in the Pharisees' minds. They take this one big uh, idea of being separate from everybody else, and they, they made it the, the key part of their understanding of the law. And so what they've done is they said it's really, really important uh, to stay separate in every regard, and so they thought up more and more of their own laws to ensure that that separateness was never compromised. Um, so, for example, it says here, Mark explains to us that when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Well, why was the marketplace such a, such a dangerous place that you had to wash after it? Well, there may well have been Gentiles there. You wouldn't have known the, um, the state of ritual cleanness of the other Jews. So um, buying your food there, you had to go to the marketplace to buy your food, it, it, there were all sorts of dangers of becoming unpure. And so the first thing you did to go back in the marketplace was to wash and make yourself ritually clean. And so this sort of this whole washing of, of yourself and of pots and, and of everything else became really, really important. The traditions were becoming more important than the, their starting place, the law. And this is where we get um, the, uh, the, the conversation, the dialogue, if you like, between uh, Jesus and... Um, there we, 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 we went through that. I forgot I had a slideshow. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're on to this. So um, let's have a look at verse 5, because that's the context then for verse 5. So... Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands? So we're beginning to see now why these people interrogate Jesus about this particular issue. It was so important to them. And in Jesus, they see a religious teacher with religious followers. And so they see something, I suppose, of themselves in Jesus. He's trying to do a similar thing. So they would have thought that it was really important for Jesus to uphold this kind of tradition as a religious leader. Now, when they, when they say, they say to him, um, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? So they accept. They're not asking about scripture itself. They're asking about these traditions. But from their point of view, as we've seen, this, um, this tradition would have been perfectly reasonable and logical. Um, so they would have thought, you know, we are, we are um, ensuring that we stay pure and separate and holy to God. So it's a perfectly reasonable thing um, to want to do. They also think it's consistent with the overall reading of Scripture because 
God requires obedience to every aspect of the law, they have thought, to ensure that the Jews remain a holy people, separate and acceptable in God's sight. So they're thinking, you're claiming to be a religious leader, Jesus, but you don't even expect your followers to conform to these traditions. What is going on? Um, and I don't think they were being very pleasant. I've got this uh, vision of them, you know, um, Jesus himself says elsewhere, you know, that the, the Pharisees love going around in their big long robes. And I have this sort of idea of them having big hats as well. I, oh, that may just be me. But, uh, you know, you can imagine these guys, you know, how dare you, Jesus, not stick to these traditions? Um, and it's, it's, in effect, it's an interrogation. There probably were some local Pharisees there, and they brought down their sort of hit squad from, from Jerusalem, scribes who were probably also Pharisees, to sort of um, take Jesus to task. But what have they got wrong? Well, they're applying a non-scriptural standard. They're holding Jesus to a standard that does not come from the Bible. And that is, that, that is, that is wrong, it's unfair, it's unreasonable. Now, they wouldn't have seen that, but that is in, in fact the case. They're being seduced, if you like, by their own human reasoning. Um, and they're, they're not holding Jesus to a standard from the Bible. Do we do that? Do we do that? That's, I think, the question that arises straight away. Do we do that? Do we hold people in church, or indeed people outside church, to a standard that is not from the Bible? I know Chris has talked quite a lot, and I think I've got this right. He talks about matters of truth, wisdom, and triviality. The matters of truth are those things that we see in the Bible, that are, that, are, that are true, they are from God and they are true for all time and in all circumstances. But also, obviously, there are matters of wisdom. It might be better to do that than to do that. It might be um, you know, better not to cross the road in front of a, a speeding car. Um, you know, it's just wise. So there are matters of wisdom as well. But there are also matters of triviality. Um, you know, what... Um, what colour jumper shall I wear to, to church today? It's easy in my case, they're all black. But, um, but you know, it might, it, it might be an issue for some people. Those are matters of triviality. It's really important that we understand the difference. And it's really important that we don't hold other people to standards that we, as an individual Christian, or we, as a, a group of Christians at Beach Hill, have come up with ourselves. And they may work for us in some ways, and that might be okay, but we've got to understand when things are not from the Bible, and we must not hold um, people to those standards if they're not from the Bible in a way uh, that is unfair. And I think it used to, the classic example used to be, you know, people who looked down their nose on other people if they didn't wear, you know, um, smart clothes to work. Uh, my grandfather had two suits, one for the week and one for, the, one for Sundays. Um, and uh, in all the time I knew him he only had those two suits um, and uh, the, the one for the week ended up with leather patches on you know, on the elbows and, and all sorts but the one for Sunday remained pristine throughout you know, and he had to wear that one on a Sunday and I think certainly when I was growing up you know, there were those kind of standards they're, they're human standards you don't find that in the Bible we've got to be really careful about the standards um, that we apply. But there's an even greater danger, of course, when we start to, if you like, create our own theology. 
And I think we're seeing a lot of this today. Uh, well, you know, you know, we're seeing a lot of this today. Um, people are starting to apply a false comparator, a false standard um, to things within the church. Let me give you one example, but I'm sure um, but we know just from this week and the debates in the Church of England um, that, that you know people um, are coming to very different conclusions. And I'm not sure, in fact I am sure actually, that a lot of this, the conclusions that they're coming are not based on the Bible. They're based on their own reasoning. A bit like the, the Pharisees. But I'll give you an example because I, I heard it in a church in Otley. Um, in a church in Otley, I, I basically heard a sermon that said, God is love. Oh, well, we wouldn't argue with that. It's in the Bible. You know, John, you know, letters of John, he actually says, God is love. And of course, God is love. Uh, love comes from God. So they took this big principle in this, in this church in Otley, God is love. And, uh, and as a result, uh, they, they, they argued, they preached in effect that uh, hell was empty. That God saved everybody. Because God is love, and therefore God could not send anybody to hell. Now, that is exactly what the Pharisees did. They took one big principle, and they then fenced it around, and, and took it further. And in the end, they came up with a conclusion that was not of God, that was not scriptural. And they started to use that to judge other people as well. It is so easy to take you know, bits of scripture out of context, build them around, let's avoid that danger. And there's only one way of avoiding that danger, and that is by knowing what the Bible says. So that, I suppose, is, is the first thing I really want to say today, is know what the Bible says, and avoid human reasoning based on something you think you know the Bible. So Jesus has been asked this question, and he replies, and he replies very, very bluntly and witheringly, hear what he says. And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honours me, that this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses says, honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you could have gained from me is Corban, that is dedicated to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. In effect here, Jesus um, has, a, has a charge that um, the, uh, the, the Pharisees are rejecting, ending up in rejecting God's word. Let's hear what he says. Verse 8, he says, You leave God's commands and you hold to your tradition. Verse 9, he says, you reject God's commands and you establish your tradition. Verse 13, he says, you make void God's commands and you hand down or teach your tradition. Notice how it gets worse. The, 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 the accusation, the charge that Jesus levels against the Pharisees gets worse. 
You leave God's commands, you hold to tradition, you reject God's commands, you establish tradition, and look how it gets worse. You make void God's commands, and you teach your tradition to others so that they follow the same path. Jesus is accusing the Pharisees uh, of attempting to secure perfect obedience to the law in a way that ends up making the law void, that ends up with them rejecting the law. So that's his first accusation. But then his second accusation is not only do you do that yourself, but then you teach others the same. And how appalling is that? Because as we know, um, to teach somebody the wrong thing is, a, is, is in God's eyes a terrible thing, and rightly so. You, there is a, a greater responsibility on teachers, um, and they have failed in their responsibility. The, the Pharisees ended up, they started off with a, with, a, with a good idea, I suppose, let's see how we can keep the law, um, and they ended up in a place where they were rejecting the law, says Jesus. Um, <clears throat> Jesus says to them in Mark twelve thirty eight, or says of them, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, there are the long robes again, and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the place of honour at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater con- condemnation. So they end up with this whole set of laws, and they end up thinking they're wonderful because they're actually trying to keep them, or uh, achieving uh, keeping them in some cases better than other people. <clears throat> Second accusation, as I said, is more damning. Um, Jesus says in verse 10, for Moses said, and then in verse 11 says, but you say. So in other words, you're saying things that Moses didn't say. You're ending up teaching people the wrong thing. I mean, he uses this example of, uh, of, of the person who dedicates uh, possessions um, to, to God. Um, there's actually, interestingly, no suggestion that these possessions are still not available for him, this person, to use in, in his everyday life. But it now prevents him from using them to help his parents, which is absolutely, you know, crazy. Um, Honouring your father and your mother was one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, in fact, in, uh, in, Ezek- in Exodus 21, um, the, the death penalty is uh, given um, for those who mistreat their parents really badly. Uh, you know, it was, an, it, was, it was, in God's law, treating your parents correctly was a huge thing. And you've ended up with the Pharisees um, rejecting God's law by saying to people, oh, well, if you, if you dedicate something to God, then you can't use it to help your parents. What could be more holy and acceptable to God than helping your parents, Jesus says, and you've ended up in a situation where they, you, you stop people doing that. Um, Jesus summarised this um, another time when he uh, talked to the Pharisees. He says, you tithe mint and rue and every herb but you neglect justice and the love of God. You've ended up with a situation where the law becomes the thing and the love of God and the love of justice is lost. Um, And of course we know, don't we, um, that it is easy to get uh, distracted into things that we should do, you know, distracted into um, our own blind alleys, maybe being very busy in church. You know, it seems a good thing. Well, it is a good thing. 
um, maybe you know random acts of kindness. These are good things. But if they stop us loving justice and if they stop us thinking about God and putting Jesus first, then uh, then then they are then they are bad things. They're like the uh, Pharisees. They have led us astray. Finally, a new kingdom. And this is your bonus. Jesus then explains this more to the people who are following him and to the disciples. So this is what it says. Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand what I've just been saying to the Pharisees. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him again about the parable. Still didn't really understand. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, Whatever comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, uh, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Reminds me a little bit of the car I, my my first car, um, that my dad sold to me. Maybe he knew something because um, I spent... uh, good portion of the time owning that car, treating the, the really bad outbreak of rust on the car. And you, you'd really scrub it down, you know, and, 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 and re-spray it, and it would look great for, you know, maybe a couple of months, and then you'd see the rust starting to come through. You never got rid of the rust, because the rust was 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 inside the metal, um, and it was just coming through. And so you could sort of sand it down and you know, paint it over, it looked okay for a little while, but my word, it just came back all the time. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know, you can't by, you know, spraying the outside of the car, you can't change what's inside the metal. You know, that's that's fundamental. You can't do it. Um, equally, if the if there's rust inside, it's just going to come keep coming out. Whatever you do, it's going to keep coming out. Is <clears throat> what Jesus is saying is that, excuse me, what Jesus is saying is that behaviour is determined from your heart, not your heart from your behaviour. It's important to see that Jesus is not saying something as well. Jesus is not saying that uh, behaviour doesn't matter. He's not saying it's all about the heart and it's not about behaviour. Now what he's saying is it's about the heart being changed to affect your behaviour. It's not about desperately trying to change your behaviour in order to change your heart. There are religions, and there have been strands within Christianity, that have you know, preached that, that, that behaviour um, you know, doesn't matter. Or, if it does, the way to solve it is to retreat from the world and focus on the inner life. Jesus is not saying any of those things. He's saying that uh, that it's about changing your heart in order to change your behaviour, not changing your behaviour and hoping it changes your heart. So he's not saying that um, 
our actions don't matter. In fact, uh, quite the reverse. I mean, we know that elsewhere Jesus teaches the the importance of correct behaviour, and he will give examples of that. You know, those those who feed the hungry, clothe the stranger, visit the sick, visit people in prison. These are good things, but they must be the result of a changed heart, not a hope that you do them in order to change your heart. So what is Jesus saying? Um, He's saying that correct behaviour can't change our heart, but a change of heart can and should affect our behaviour. The causation runs from heart to behaviour, not behaviour to heart. Without a change of heart, Jesus is saying, we will continue to fall short of God's standards. And we know that, don't we, in our own lives. No amount of ritual, no amount of, you know, in the Pharisees' case, in washing this, washing the other, is going to change their heart. And it's a heart problem. All, Paul says in Romans, obviously, have sinned um, and fallen short of the glory of God. Mark points out there's no purpose anymore in um, trying to keep these Old Testament regulations because Jesus has come and Jesus has shown that it's all about the heart, which people should have realised anyway, um, and he's brought a solution, so another solution. So what is this other solution? If it's not about you know um, ensuring that we behave in the correct way, what is the solution? Well, God had already talked about it years before. In Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28, so many of you will know this, um, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the, the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. See the causation. I will put my spirit within you. I will give you a new heart. And that is how you will be able to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave you, that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. How wonderful is that? And that is how we live in the right way because God changes us. <clears throat> What's clear from um, Ezekiel's prophecy is that's going to happen at some time in the future. And of course what Jesus is saying is the time is now. I have brought that time. He doesn't say it explicitly here, but he has done earlier. He said it explicitly to his disciples earlier. Um, and by coincidence it was the, the sermon that I preached on Mark's Gospel uh, in the autumn. Uh, this is where you read it. It's in Mark 2. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, another inter- interrogation, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And John said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. No point in all these regulations and rituals. It's sticking an old, um, un, it's sticking an old piece of unshrunk cloth on an old uh, garment. Sorry, a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. You're trying to patch up the old lawn. It won't work. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skin. 
and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom, I am doing everything new, I am bringing new wine, putting new, a new wine and a new spirit in your hearts. Because wine in the Old Testament was used for the idea of God's spirit. So Jesus is saying, I am going to bring that spirit. I am uh, the um, the fulfilment of Ezekiel's prophecy. That is what I am doing. The disciples, of course, didn't know at that time exactly how this would happen, how Jesus would bring this new spirit, would make our hearts anew. Um, but we understand now that it was through Christ's death and the cross. As the Apostle Peter, who would have been there listening at the time, became very, very aware You were ransomed, he says, from the futile ways. Notice that idea again of futile ways of pot washing and and washing this and washing the other. They're futile ways. You were ransomed from these futile ways, he says, to the, the first Christians, inherited from your forefathers. He's writing to Jews. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So what those futile ways of the Pharisees and others could not do, They could not change your heart. Christ's blood can do. Ezekiel had said, Ezekiel had said, turn from, well, Ezekiel had said, God had said, turn from all your transgressions. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. God hates it when people turn away from him. He hates it when people do the wrong thing. He hates it when their heart is not changed. He hates it when they have to go to hell. But hell is not empty because as we know from John 3.16 God is love, yes. In fact he loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die for us. But it's for those who Believe it is not for all. The Pharisees had completely lost the plot. But they thought they were being entirely reasonable. Uh, Because they thought they were being entirely reasonable, um, they they come up to Jesus and they say, you know, what's going on? Why aren't you following all these rules and regulations? False comparative. And they were teaching other people the same, false teaching. What they hadn't realised was that the problem that they had identified, which was that the law was incredibly difficult to keep, um, should have been the first step on the road to understanding that only Jesus can solve that problem. (coughs) Jesus' blood is the way in which we become holy and acceptable to God. And it is the way that our heart is changed. And it is the way that we can begin to keep God's law more effectively day to day. Should we pray? Lord, it is so easy to fall into the trap of the Pharisees to create our own do's and don'ts, our own rules and regulations, our own things that we try and do in order to please you and be acceptable in your sight. Help us hear Jesus' condemnation of that this morning, but help us also to hear his offer of new life through his blood on the cross. Help us to 
um, to come to him in humility um, as opposed to the arrogance of the Pharisees. Help us to come in humility, throw us throw ourselves on Jesus' mercy um, and ask for him to change our heart again this morning um, and to give us that ability to live in the way that we should live, uh, to be your people in the way that we should be. Amen. Amen. Amen.